I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say son and sacrificed him just for us and that you never let us down and in Jesus name amen
Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you. Expressing gratitude is very simple, isn't it? Takes very little time or effort. And yet it can be impactful, not only to the person who is expressing the gratitude, but to the person who receives the expression of gratitude. But because it's so easy and simple, it can also be easily overlooked and taken for granted. Expressing gratitude does not necessarily come natural to us. We have to be taught to be grateful. I mean, we experience this with children all the time. Uh, a child will be in the church and, and I'll have some candy and I'll say, is it all right if I give, give them some candy? And they'll say, sure, and I give them some. And what do the parents say to the child? Say, thank you. <laughs> well, why do you have to tell them to do it? Why doesn't it just come natural to them to do it? Because being grateful, we may feel grateful, but we don't necessarily express gratitude as often as we should. See, there's a different, two different dynamics here. There's gratitude as an attitude, and there's gratitude as an action. When you actually express it, when you say it, when you send somebody a thank you card, when you take somebody uh, a plate of cookies and say thank you for your help, see, that, that's gratitude going from being an attitude to an action. And I think that's important. And there's a story in Scripture that, that emphasizes that for us. We're in Luke 17, and I'm going to start in verse 11. It said, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus was going into a village one day, and there were ten men standing off to the side at some distance from Jesus who desperately wanted to, to encounter him, to, to meet him. But the Bible says they stood at a distance and shouted at Jesus. Now that's an unusual way to meet somebody, isn't it? I mean, if I'm up here at the front of the church and somebody walks in for the first time, a visitor, um, and I say, oh, I want to meet them, I don't go, hey, you in the blue shirt. <laughs> Glad you're here. That would be weird, wouldn't it? 
I wouldn't do that. I would, I would make my way to the back. I would walk up to them. I would extend my hand. I would make eye contact with them. That's how you meet people. But the reason these ten men did what they did is because they weren't just ten men. They were ten men with leprosy, the most highly contagious disease known to man in Jesus' day. And when you have leprosy, you are declared unclean by the priests. And that means you have to leave your family, leave your home, quit your job, and you have to go outside the village and live in a camp with other lepers. You not only experience the physical pain and suffering of the disease, but you experience the social isolation caused by the disease. If you were a leper, you didn't get to attend a wedding. You didn't get to go to birthday parties. You couldn't babysit with grandchildren. You couldn't even go to church. You had to stay away from everybody except for people like you. So in other words, if you had leprosy, you lived life at a distance. And that's a sad and lonely and hopeless place to be. And yet, God's Word tells us that that's where we are without Christ. Because sin does to us what leprosy did to them. Sin does to the soul what leprosy did to the body. It makes us unclean before a holy and righteous God. And it means we have to be apart from him. We have to be separated from him. We have to live life at a distance from him. If you go back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve first sinned against God, what was the first thing they did? They hid. They heard that God was coming through the garden, and they hid from him. They had never hidden from him before. They had always welcomed him, greeted him, enjoyed fellowship with him. But because of their sinfulness, they now had to hide off in the bushes, ashamed and afraid. Our guilt and our shame of our sin cries out unclean to God. And so we need to do the same thing those 10 men needed to do. We need to meet Jesus. We need to encounter him. Because only he can change our condition. The fact that they stood at a distance and shouted tells us something about the condition of their life. What they shouted tells us what they believed in Jesus, about Jesus. They said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. The fact that they called him Master meant they believed him to be a man of power and authority. And the fact that they said, have pity on us, means they believed him to be a man of compassion and mercy. Now, those things don't always go together, do they? A lot of people that have power and authority are not very compassionate or merciful. They tend to use their power to take advantage of people rather than helping people. But they knew Jesus was different. 
They believed that if they could encounter him, meet him, talk to him, that he would heal them. And we need to believe the same thing. We need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is a man of power and authority. He has the power to judge us, to condemn us. But he's also a man of compassion and mercy. And so he chooses to use his power to save us, to forgive us, to cleanse us of our sin. When the ten men saw Jesus, they probably expected him to heal them right away. To come over and maybe put his hands on each one of them and heal them. Or maybe to declare something like, leprosy, be gone. You know, something that would heal them. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he says, go show yourself to the priests. Now, the last time they went and showed themselves to the priest, they were declared unclean and sent out of the village. And if they went before the priest again, still in their condition, they would be ridiculed and sent back out in shame. And so you see what Jesus is doing here. He's testing their faith. He could have healed them. He could have just be healed and they're healed. Now go show yourself to the priest and get declared clean and go home. That's what they wanted. But instead, he said, go show yourself to the priest. But they're still lepers. Did they have the faith to go? Or would they say, no, we can't do anything until you heal us? You know, what about us? It's, it's easy to have faith when life is good, isn't it? It's easy to be faithful when the blessings are many. But what about those times when life gets hard? When the problems just kind of mount up one right after the other and we start to feel overwhelmed. When we're lonely and sad. What about those times when we don't see a way through what we're dealing with? Can we believe then? Are we willing to take the step of faith to believe in Jesus even when it's hard? I hate to think about how many times I've missed out on God's blessing in my life because life got hard and I found it too hard to believe. You know, the Bible doesn't always make sense. God's will and purpose for our lives isn't always clear. There are times I have to take a step and then another step and then another step in a certain direction when I don't know how that's going to turn out. He doesn't always show me the end before I start. And that's what he asked of these lepers. You go, trusting that by the time you get there, you will be lepers no longer. Now, why tell them to go show themselves to the priest? Well, in Jesus' day, the priests were not only the religious leaders, but they were community health officers. 
They were the ones that declared people unclean and sent them out. And they were the ones who could declare people clean and bring them back in. So it made perfect sense that he said, go, go see the priest. But to go when they were still sick, that, that was the test. But they went. And it was only after they started toward the village that they experienced the blessing they sought, the healing from their leprosy. Now this raises all kinds of questions in my mind. How far did they have to go before they were healed? As soon as they turned and took that first step, boom, healed of leprosy. How about the second step? How about if they get all the way to the entrance of the village there where the gate is and they know if they set foot on the other side of that gate in their condition they will be in trouble how close did they have to get before their bodies were healed maybe they had to actually get into the village and all the people were going oh lepers unclean lepers get out of here what are you doing would they keep going to the priest? I don't know. It doesn't say. Another question I have is, were they all healed at once? As they were heading to the priest, did they just, boom, experience healing, all ten of them, simultaneously? Perhaps. But I don't think so. In my own personal opinion, and that's all this is, is my opinion. I think the ones that had the most faith were healed first. Because if you have a group of ten people, they're not all the same in their faith. There are some who believe a lot and there are some who believe a little. There were probably one or two of them that it was their idea to start with to go to Jesus. They said, guys, I, I know this seems crazy, but there's Jesus of Nazareth coming, and we've heard that he can heal the sick, and I believe that he will, and we got to go. And there were others that go, oh, come on. Why build up your hopes only to be disappointed again? Let's not do that. And they would have had this discussion, and finally those who wanted to go won out over those who didn't. And so they went. And so I've got a feeling that as they were going to the priest, the, the ones that believed most would have been out in front leading. So come on, come on. And at some point in their journey, they were healed. And then those who were struggling to believe saw what happened to them and said, whoa, it's true, it's real. Jesus is who you said he was. And then boom, they were healed. That's how I think it happened. I think the faith of the strongest helped the faith of the weakest. And one reason I think that is because that is exactly how the church is designed today. People that come to worship, you have all different levels of faith out here. 
Some of you are giants in faith. You have been believing in the Lord Jesus Christ your entire life, and for decades you have walked with him and experienced his blessing in your life, and you have been faithful to him, and you are strong in faith. And there are others sitting here this morning that have only taken a few steps on that journey of faith. You're still very uncertain about who Christ is and and what exactly relationship with him means. But see, when you come to church, we don't make you take a test. We need to know your level of knowledge about God. Okay? And if you don't pass this test, you got to go down the street where they don't care. Because we care. We don't give you a Bible test to see how much of the Bible you've read or if you've even read it at all. Because it doesn't matter in terms of your being here. Everyone is welcome to the house of the Lord because everyone is welcome in relationship to the Lord. And when you come, you come just as you are. Strong faith, little faith, no faith at all. We have people come through these doors who will tell me, I don't believe in him. But on the off chance that I'm wrong, I'm here. Okay. You get points for honesty. And now we can move forward from there. So all ten men are healed at some point, in some way, as they made their journey to the village. Nine of them go on. They finish the journey to the priest. They get declared clean, and they go home to their families. Can you imagine the, the reunions that took place that day? As they went to their house, as they bust through the door and said, Honey, I'm home. <laughs> and they go, What are you doing here? Wait a minute. How are you like that? <laughs> Where's your leprosy? I'm clean. How'd that happen? This guy named Jesus. <laughs> but one of them stopped in his tracks. They're going to the priest. Boom, they're healed. And he's like, wow. And they're like, let's go. No. No, there's something I got to do first. I got to go back to him. And he turns around and goes back while they go on. Were they ungrateful? I don't think so. I'm not going to get all harsh on judging them because they didn't go back. I'm sure they were grateful. I'm sure in their minds they were thanking God. And I'm sure when they got home and told their families about it, they said, boy, we just really appreciate that guy, that Jesus, and what he just did for us. Because as I said, gratitude doesn't come real natural, and it's easy to overlook the expression of it. They had the attitude of it, but they failed the action of it to do something to say thank you to Jesus. The one man understood that. Thinking it's not enough. Saying it to heaven is not enough. I need to go back to Jesus. And it said that he went, he praised God, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he simply said, thank you. Thank you. Sometimes those two words speak 
volumes. See, he understood something that I hope we can all understand as well, especially as we go into a season of Thanksgiving. We're going to gather with our families on Thursday. We're going to have the uh, three F's of Thanksgiving, food, football, and family. You can put them in whatever order you want. I don't know. You know, hopefully a family kind of gets up there toward the front. And um, family is one. One A is the food. I think that's <laughs> kind of how that works. But there needs to be a fourth one. It's not enough for Thanksgiving to be about family and about food and about football. It needs to have a focus on Thanksgiving. Beyond the prayer we say at the table before we eat. I hope all day and then all the next day and the day after that that Thanksgiving becomes an attitude that leads to an action of letting God know how much we appreciate what he has done. Letting those around us know. We so easily take people for granted that we love. And we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how many days we're going to walk this earth. And we should never put off an expression of gratitude thinking there's always tomorrow to do it because there may not be. And I should never delay my gratitude to the Lord because I'm too busy. Because there's nothing I'm doing that is more important than thanking Him for what He's done for me. For this man... Thanksgiving became his priority. And I pray that it will be the same for us. Because gratitude increases blessing. And thanksgiving multiplies grace. Did you catch the final words Jesus said? It does it, the story doesn't end with the man saying thank you. The story ends when Jesus says rise and go, your faith has made you well. He got a blessing that the other nine didn't. I don't know where he was on the faith scale when they started. But I know where he was when it ended. He was at the top. Because he took the time and made it a priority to say thank you, Lord. May we do the same. Let us pray. God, it hardly seems enough to say thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I mean, when you do what you did, sending him to us, having him live among us, suffering and dying for us, that goes beyond any words of gratitude we can express. So we gather, Lord, we sing your praise. We offer gratitude in prayer. We share your word. We commune together at your table. All of these things are meant to be expressions of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. And I pray that as we gather Thursday, may Thanksgiving be a priority. And as we live our days each and every day, 
May we wake up with gratitude. May we go to bed with thanksgiving. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's easy to be grateful for that which we've already received. You know, many times I go to places, I go to community events, and a lot of times they'll look at me and say, Pastor, do you want to offer thanks? Sure, I'd be glad to. Sometimes groups wait till after the meal. They said, well, we're going to just let people eat as they arrive, and then we want you to offer a prayer of thanks after we've eaten. And I said, you know, I'm fine with that. Because to be honest with you, I'm more thankful after the meal than before. I mean, isn't that, doesn't that make sense? When I have a full tummy of great food, I'm a lot more thankful than just anticipating what I'm going to eat. Because it's easier to be thankful for what you've already received than what you might receive. And see, the good news is, in our relationship with Jesus, he's already done it. We're not thanking him for what he might do. We can thank him for what he has done. Jesus has paid it all, as the song says. Our sins have been washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. And we can truly be thankful for what he has done, knowing what he will do and providing a home in heaven for us all. If you're ready to give your heart to Christ, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to say thank you for the blessing of salvation that I now receive for myself, I'm going to invite you to come during this song. We're going to, I will receive you. I will pray with you. I will lead you in a simple confession of faith that says, I believe in Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I invite you to come. It's kind of appropriate. Our hymn of invitation is, Come, you thankful people, come. Number 392, 1 and 2.
Do 